Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So I wanted to um, explore with you tonight um, the topic of personal and collective karma. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you the answers, uh, as as it's been said here before. A famous teaching: the Buddhas that. Um, uh, if you th- try to figure out karma, just why things have happened and why they do happen, uh, and um, looking at the karmic cause and effect, uh, it's one of the the four imponderables that you will go crazy if you think too much about. So uh, I'm going where angels fear to tread, uh, but I just wanted to explore this because uh, it's been coming up for myself and uh, thought it was a, a worthwhile thing to explore together. Mm-hmm. The, the reason that it uh, first came up was um, it was a, an issue uh, on the month-long retreat, the February retreat that I um, have mentioned that I was at and uh, go and teach at each each year uh, in the month of February. Um, and towards the end of the retreat, this issue came up uh, when we were doing the um, equanimity meditation, which we've done, we've talked about here before. There's some classical words that are said in the equanimity meditation, and there are um, any words that really work for you to bring about a sense of centeredness and spaciousness and um, letting go of of the agenda that you might have for yourself or for life or for anyone else. Uh, there's a real freedom in that realizing that things are as they are and they just unfold as they do. Uh, We can have input. We can certainly have input into our own relationship to experience. That's where the Buddha said that the true cultivation is. Uh, There's a limited amount of effect we can have on our lives in the world around us, but we can have the the choice, particularly through practice, in how we relate to, how we meet experience. Um, but the classic equanimity, uh, traditional words anyway, as it's come down to us now, are um, something like, you are the owner of your karma, or you are the heir of your karma. Your happiness, 
and unhappiness depends upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. There's some tweaking in that. Sometimes it's said uh, your happiness and un- and un- or unhappiness uh, depend on your habits or choices or actions. Uh, and sometimes it's said not solely on my wishes for you. So there's some variations, at least in that classical presentation. And then there are other other phrases that are in the spirit of equanimity, but are not in those classical phrases. The idea of equanimity, or the, 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 the sense of equanimity, is that there's a, a balanced relationship that's not swayed or swept up by either sorrows or joys or surprises, uh, pleasant or unpleasant, uh, that there is a sense of just um, meeting the moment with a spaciousness. Sometimes I, I think of the, the three awakening factors that are grouped with a st- that have stillness that have uh, yeah a stillness a kind of settledness to them in different kinds of uh, different kinds of stillness I'll just mention this because it's coming through right now in the seven factors of awakening three of them have to do with energizing um, investigation and energy and joy. Uh, mindfulness is uh, is right in the middle, and then three have to do with stilling, that is calm, concentration, and equanimity. And I think of calm as a kind of settled stillness. Concentration, the way I see it, is a kind of focused stillness, stilling of the mind. And equanimity is a, a spaciousness, a stillness that comes from spaciousness that is not ruffled or swept up by circumstance. So anyway, um, I shared this um, uh, this classical um, when we were doing the uh, the each each afternoon we have a heart practice and we got through the the other three metta, uh, loving kindness and compassion and joy. And then we were spending a number of days on equanimity uh, towards the end of the month. And I shared that phrase and said, this is one of a number of phrases. Uh, and someone made the very good point um, that, well, is that always true? Can we just say that somebody's happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions or their choices or their habits when there are circumstances that affect their lives that have very little to do with them but are more systemic in the culture. As I'm sure we'd all agree, 
our culture, our society, uh, does not treat everyone equally. It's probably something that could be said of any culture and society, but certainly in ours there are the the haves and the have-nots, so to speak, on one level, at least as far as um, access to um, to good health care, access to good education, um, housing, other other ways that some people feel very safe and don't realize the privilege that they have, and others, it's a very different reality. So um, this person wrote uh, wrote some feedback and a note that really uh, had me reflect on on it. Uh, she says, uh, "Your happiness or unhappiness, depending on your actions, not on my good wishes for you." This phrase is simply untrue for a huge percentage of people on the planet whose well-being is affected by mass incarceration climate change, neoliberalism, and who are limited in the actions they can take to change these oppressive human-created forces. Perhaps there are other forces beyond a person's actions that affect their well-being and that each of us needs to ask ourselves what we can do to chip away at these forces that cause so much suffering. We have a responsibility to other beings, don't we? It seems... Um, that uh, a presentation of karma could be similar to how free market capitalism is presented. As Angela Davis puts it, free market capitalism? Come on, it's racial capitalism. And then, last thing I'll read, she says, um, it seems that if we're told that we're practicing not only for individual liberation, but for collective as well, the presentation of karma appearing so individualistic seems incomplete. What about collective karma? And I think it's a really, um, not only good point, but important point that's had me... um, more deeply reflecting on how this issue of karma is understood and how it can be so easily misused. And I also want to mention something that I've mentioned here before, that in the classic um, exposition of karma, not everything that happens to us is attributable to karma. There are um, um, weather is one that is outside of the, the law of karma, law of cause and effect, at least human made cause and effect. Uh, health, different bodily conditions, something arises, and it's not that, oh, because this, because you did something five lifetimes ago, this is your. Your payback for it. Um, so there are a number of different things that are not directly attributable to karma. Um, 
say, physical disabilities and accidents and, and weather conditions uh, that are not man-made. Um, but given that, those aside, it is important for us, uh, and I'm seeing this more and more clearly, um, that we need to take into account the systemic dukkha in our culture, in our society. Karma, the word karma is literally means action, and it talks about cause and effect, causes and conditions, causes and conditions. Um, and although we can have some say about our own habits and choices, uh, we are also affected by the systemic choices that our habitual way of, of doing things affects everybody um, to one extent or another. The systemic, particularly the systemic dukkha for those who are uh, victims through no fault of their own um, to um, the uh, being at the affect of ignorance and confusion. As an example, um, and I, I want to also acknowledge as I, I go into this, a, a wonderful article that um, I, uh, I found very helpful on this um, by a Zen teacher uh, named Tigan Dan Layton, who uh, wrote an essay. Uh, the book is a collection of essays uh, called A Buddhist Response to the Climate Emergency. Um, this is from, I think, 2009, uh, by, edited by John Staley, David Loy, and Gurme Dorje. And this is an essay that Tigan Dan Layton wrote called Now the Whole Planet Has Its Head on Fire, Collective Karma and the Systemic Responses to Climate Disruption. Um, and he talks about um, Katrina as one example, Hurricane Katrina, which there were there was so much suffering that in part, Part of the causes and conditions was, it appears, climate change. As we're seeing all of these incredible, there were what, four north, nor'easter storms in the last week and a half or two weeks in the northeast that come along once every number of decades and four in a week or something like that. Um, and all of the, the fires in Santa Rosa and, and the floods and all of these things, that it would seem that climate change is certainly a factor in there and that human beings and our collective choices are major, if not main, contributors towards that happening. 
And then there's also um, the people who were the victims of, uh, who suffered the most in, uh, in Katrina, which were the poor and underserved. Uh, and the fact that that was so has its roots in uh, racial injustice and slavery. So, whose karma is it? Well, in some ways, uh, it's all of our karma. And the tricky thing about karma is that it can be easily used in a way that instills guilt. And this can this can immobilize or paralyze us if we just say, oh, wow, I really messed up. I deserve this. And uh, there's not much I can do about it. Or we've messed up. And even if it's so, there's this sense of, oh, what can I do about it? Because what effect could I have on the whole, the whole culture? So when we're exploring this, and I want to hear your thoughts in a little while, um, don't use it to beat yourself up and have more guilt, but rather to see there are choices here and I am operating in a larger system which I am both um, at the affect of and can influence. Nine eleven, three thousand people who lost their lives, at least in in the Trade Center and a few more in a few other places. Was that their karma? Did they do something to deserve that? Uh, I would would say that's an unuseful way to look at what happened to them. And there were causes and conditions that led to 9-11. Whether it's the uh, the, the the history of wars in in the Middle East, you know, or one can go back and to whatever extent uh, the the conflict between uh, uh, in the Middle East was mm, uh, was certainly stirred up after the Holocaust in Germany and European countries said. Let's create this state, um, which was done out of a probably a benevolent intention, but that has its own effects, cause and effect and cause and effect. And 9-11 is part of that cause and effect. Mm-hmm. So... In this world of karma, one of the things to keep in mind, or in this perspective of karma, is that everything is connected to everything else. 
cause and effect has so many different dimensions. It's not only uh, if you uh, if you practice an unskillful habit, you'll get that more likely to be developed within yourself, and that is one very simple way that cause and effect works. But there's whole complexes of causes and effects. And in this world of interconnectedness, everything affects everything else. There's that line that I I looked up, I love it, by John Muir, who says, uh, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. And I was remembering a um, a wonderful book, uh, Mount Analog. Anybody read Mount Analog here by Rene Dumal? It's a, yes, you did. It's a pretty neat book. It's an analog. Um, he he uh, he wrote this, I think, is in the fifties, and he died before he finished it. But uh, it's this allegory of these uh, of the spiritual journey climbing up a mountain and um, and part of the it's clear that uh, that your actions the more impeccable your actions are the the more the possibility of coming to the top of the mountain and along the way somebody in this party um, killed an insect I think it was an insect um, that um, that caused a cause and effect that the animal that fed on that insect wasn't uh, wasn't getting their own sustenance, and the chain reaction led to a whole avalanche in the mountain, and a lot of these climbers died. <clears throat> That one has stuck with me for a long time. Mm. So when we look at, uh, at group karma, we're all part of the field in this. And it's important to, to see what in our culture um, we can do or we can't do and how we can either be contributing or not contributing to uh, to the collective karma one way or another. We're creating karma one way or another until you're fully enlightened. You're creating either good karma or bad karma. Um, Go for the good karma. Because bad karma is just leading you to suffering. And doing things out of kindness and generosity and wisdom lead to happiness. Doing things out of... um, uh, Greed, hatred, and delusion lead to suffering. But I uh, wanted to share with you how the teaching of individual karma, um, how it it was rejected by one of the great um, teachers and inspiring leaders uh, in India, the great leader of the Untouchables, uh, Ambedkar. And he started a mass conversion of untouchables to Buddhism 
uh, in the 50s, uh, three million Indian untouchables became Buddhists. Uh, but, and he chose Buddhism. He had studied a whole lot of world religions. And he chose uh, Buddhism because uh, he thought that was the best one because there was no caste in Buddhism. And uh, its teachings talked about the interconnection and the responsibility that we all have. But he rejected the Four Noble Truths because he felt that this teaching blamed individuals for suffering and ignored, quote, the heartless action of others and the systemic injustice of such social arrangements as the caste system. And the idea of karma, he believed, would only accentuate the self-blame of the untouchables instead of placing the blame on the caste system itself. So this is a, a great leader. And as the Buddha said, you know, see, see the truth for yourself and see what, uh, just uh, check out the teachings for yourself. And when he, as much as he said, yes, let's adopt these principles and this practice, but let's not take that on as just another way to say, oh, that was, that was my karma. So here we are in 2018, right now, in this very complex world with so much greed and hatred and confusion. And how do we understand and relate to our interconnectedness, seeing how everything affects everything else, how do we relate to that, not just in our own personal practice, not just in, oh, I want to cultivate good habits and be as kind and be as generous and be as uh, understanding and clear as I can so I, I find my own peace inside, but understanding that we make a difference and affect everyone around us. And the paradox is, while it's true that there's a whole collective of habits and ways of thinking, oh, this is just the way things are done these days, and there's not much that I can do about it. At the same time, there might be something that you can do about it and that we can do about it. Because if we just say, what can I do? Then we're doomed to just be part of the mass confusion and the systemic injustice. wanted to share with you a few quotes that I have about this. Desmond Tutu, who says, If you're neutral in situations of injustice, 
you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you're neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And this is from uh, the uh, Divine Comedy, Dante. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in times of great moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. Martin Luther King has, has uh, quoted, has used that quote um, himself. And this is from Howard Zinn, the historian, contemporary historian, um, who wrote The People's History of the United States, who says, um, we don't want to be objective if it means pretending that ideas don't play a part in the social struggles of our time and that we don't take sides in those struggles. Indeed, it is impossible to be neutral in a world already moving in certain directions where wealth and power are already distributed in certain ways. Neutrality means accepting the way things are now It is a world of clashing interests, war against peace, nationalism against internationalism, equality against greed, democracy against elitism, and it seems to me both impossible and undesirable to be neutral in those conflicts. So the question is, um, how can we make a difference? It seems like the stream is so powerful to go against the stream. Sometimes it's it's called the the spiritual trip, spiritual journey is called going against the stream. but there's a whole lot of people that want to go against the stream of the way the uh, things are going these days. And I just wanted to um, share this so that we see that what we do really does make a difference. And we affect people around us. We can be either inspired or further despairing if we are around others who despair and say there's no hope, whether it's about mm, climate change or gun control or somehow standing up to the forces of greed and hatred and delusion. And whatever we do, we ourselves can act from anger, outrage, understandable um, hatred. But when we do, 
we are just contributing to that stew of more unskillful karma. Or we can act from caring, commitment, love, clarity. And when we do, we influence those around us as well. And so we have an effect on the collective field. We're affected and affect the fields around us all the time. And when enough people have a vision of determination for change, the field starts to change. I've quoted in here a study that I came across a number of years ago that all that's that's needed for a shift in the way opinion, public opinion, the conventional wisdom thinks is just a 7% shift in the population. Because most people are just sitting on the sidelines saying, you know, what am I supposed to believe? Um, So you can make a difference. And the more you come from developing your own good karma, coming from kindness and caring and commitment and courage and fierce compassion, um, that in itself touches and awakens that in others as well. So particularly these days, to find out uh, how you can contribute, I think is a, a useful thing to do in whatever way, how you can contribute to bring a little bit more understanding and compassion and a fierce compassion into the stew. Because if you don't, as Dante says, uh, you don't want to be in that place reserved for those who in great moral crisis maintain their neutrality. One thing, by the way, I'll just mention here, I'll be mentioning it as we get more um, uh, uh, more together in the organizing of it, something that uh, Jane and I personally have decided to do in, in recent times um, is um, do some, some work around uh, um, voter registration. Because it seems like, um, without getting into any of the politics, um, that it's a good thing for as many people to vote as possible these days. So we're actually, uh, I, I can share with you, um, we're, we're putting out, um, we're putting on a, f- a dance party a fundraising party um, in May um, to um, we're getting involved in uh, in voter registration in Tracy um, and uh, going to going to Tracy, which is a, a just a very interesting place uh, these days, uh, or as far as uh, possibility of 
of um, elections. And um, we went to a, an organization uh, or a, um, a gathering uh, a couple of weeks ago on people who were doing voter registration in uh, Tracy. And we thought that, I thought there were going to be like about 30 or 40 people uh, out in Walnut Creek, and there were like 750 people there. I couldn't believe it. We walked in and said, oh, my God, you know. There's something really happening now. And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to share this is that if you're old enough to remember, there used to, there was an old Buffalo, Springs, uh, uh, Buffalo Springfield song, uh, For What It's Worth, and the lines went... Uh, you better stop. Hey, look around. Everybody, look what's going down. Something's happening here. And um, why not be a part of it? It can go either way. Why not be a part of it and take it on as a kind of um, joyful responsibility to, uh, to know that you're making a difference both for your own individual karma and for the rippling effect for everyone around. So I think I'll just uh, stop here and see if anything comes up from that. We can have some time for um, comments, questions. And let's see, Jackie, what'd you do? Great, thanks. I'm reminded of the quote, uh, probably everyone in the room can remember, knows who said this, I forgot who said this, but the quote was, never doubt, something that goes along the line. Margaret Mead. Yeah, Margaret Mead. Uh, Never doubt that a few concerned citizens collectively can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Back there. You know, I thought it was an ice cream cone. I really did. That's what I was asking for. What, what was that? I thought it was an ice cream cone. Now I have it. I'll say uh, yeah. something. Put it right next to your lips. and uh, Yeah, okay. So uh, I'm a member of a group called Veterans for Peace. Mm. And uh, a few days ago, a guy was asking me, so are you guys just against the Vietnam War or are you against war altogether? And I said, well, actually, we're Veterans for Peace. Mm. And what we're, our idea is that uh, international conflict should be resolved in a peaceful way, such as a united Ireland could be re- a conflict like that could be resolved in a peaceful way if we decide to do that. And what you were saying about the balance of things, I've said to people for years that there's two things on the scale. There's people that think there's always going to be war, and there's people that think peace is possible. And if we all jump on the peace is possible thing, and that scale goes down, we'll have peace. But we have to have the majority of people thinking peace is possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else?
Hi. Hi. I don't know about other people. I know for myself, I'm having a real hard time having compassion for psychopaths and sociopaths that are running things. And it's hard to resolve that, Mm -hmm. you know. Maybe I need, you know, like a better practice and that type of thing. But what kind of words do you have for for that conundrum that a lot of us are in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and, uh, we've talked about this before. um, And it's, I don't think you can overdo it, actually, um, because you're... You're, it's in it's in your face in one's face every day, um, but just as you the way you ask the question, there might be some answer in there. Having trouble for psychopaths or sociopaths that are running things. If someone is a sociopath, that means that they are. Incapable, there is a limit to uh, a very uh, or non-existence of empathy. So if that's their reality, it's not that you say, oh, well, that's okay, that's just the way they are. Um, You do what you can to make a difference, but in my in my mind, the way my mind and heart relate to it in my better moments, and I must say that this is that's in my better moments that I that I try as a practice to to stay in touch with, just realizing the limitations and the woundedness and the confusion in a mind that would willfully hurt others or willfully um, destroy, help destroy the planet that they would want their grandchildren to, uh, to enjoy. There's tremendous confusion in that mind. Unfortunately, if they have levers of power, it makes it that much more of an urgency and responsibility to make a difference. But in some ways, also we've talked about that before, when there is great um, ignorance, there is also the catalyzing of great consciousness. So... um, who knows in the bigger picture um, what might not have happened if that great ignorance wasn't seen as clearly as it is. Uh, like I said, there's something, there's something I can sense that there's hope in the, it's the rising of the phoenix, you know. Um, so, um, if you look at it at any one slice of time, you might be saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. But if you look at a bigger picture of, of cycles over time, um, there is perhaps a, a more of a, 
a natural order towards greater and greater consciousness and awakening, that part of the the dukkha and the suffering uh, is is part of the wake up call too. And good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I hope I can express this the way I'd like to. Okay, and put it right close to your mouth. Okay, I hope I can express this the way I would like to. I see that it's very important, that this practice is very important because I find uh, I really need to have refuge in equanimity and in a, and also in, and also in a community because when I see what's happening, I'm very frightened. Mm-hmm. And... Um, by climate problems, um, potentialities, by the fact that we can destroy ourselves with nuclear uh, arms. And, and so there's that. So I think for, it's very important to cultivate the interior part of each individual. Mm-hmm. At the same time, of course, we have this collective responsibility, I think. And I think one image that comes to mind when I think about that collective responsibility is I see I see someone on a stage, and they're doing this great you know show, and everybody's entertained, um, but it's time to get the guy off the stage, and it's time to stop being entertained. And I see that big hook, you know, of the person that comes on stage and pulls the guy off, and I feel like the only way that's going to happen is if there is a certain amount of letting go of the fun of this. Um, that we're all kind of enjoying about this. I mean, I'm not really enjoying this, but I'm enjoying the comedy about it. It's compelling. Yeah, and 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 the stories that the press gets caught up with, it's they're intrigued. I mean, they hold your attention. And I feel like it's there's a time now to to um, be a little more responsible and say shows up, times up. Um we need to take responsibility and and really look at the serious issues here mm-hmm. and make people aware of them and own that and do it, like you said, in a joyful way and in a non-judgmental way, which is, again, where the practice comes in. Because the judgment part is the part that's fueling the desire for this person to stay in office. People who voted for this person feel very judged. And if we go around and say, we're enlightened and you're not, we're not going to have a conversation and there's going to be no change. So it's really how we go about this. And that's where the practice feeds us, and that where, that's where our sangha supports us, and that's where we can go in a sense of groundedness and go out and do the what seems impossible but isn't. Well said. Well said. Uh, some time ago off the internet, I got a meme uh, with a quote from Eckhart Tolle, and it went, I'm not saying it quite exactly, but it says, to complain about a situation is to become a victim. When you meet a situation, you have three choices. You can change it, accept it, or leave it. All else is madness, he says. So that's reflecting back on what you say, which is we need to take some kind of actions Another thing that goes along with this is something uh, I learned here, actually, many years ago from Julia Butterfly Hill, 
where she gave a talk here, something still stays with me. Action alleviates anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's Angelus Arian. Oh, okay. All right. I heard Arian. it from her. Yeah, action absorbs anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And so what that comes down to is that for each of us, I'll talk for myself, um, after, after the election last, last year, the day after, I realized I needed to do something. And I wasn't quite sure what kind of venue to work with. And the thing about climate change. And then I'd been doing work for single-payer health care for a long time. And then mm-hmm. last February, a year ago, a bill appeared in the legislature. So I've been doing that. And that's my own particular solution to the thing. Picking an issue that really moves my heart and then putting some kind of energy and some kind of dynamism into that. Mm-hmm. So again, we can complain about a situation, but then it comes down to making our choices. What can we actually do about it rather than become victims? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. I know there's people in this room who are really dedicated about climate change. Mm-hmm. Not just you. There's other people I know here, and I'm sure other people. And you're doing voter registration. That's moving your heart right now. So I'd like to suggest to everybody, after you listen to what James has been saying, there's a million possible you know, venues for your action. Mm-hmm. Find something you need to do and start making some steps. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Ernie. As uh, uh, Andrew Harvey says, follow your heartbreak. <clears throat> Just see where your heart is breaking and do something towards that to alleviate the heart. The heartbreak, uh, and it feels good because, you know, action absorbs anxiety. <clears throat> and what Julia Butterfly Hill, I, actually, I just, I just uh, spoke with her last week because I'm doing these, uh, I've mentioned it here, most people who hadn't heard, I'm doing these conversations that are, I'm posting up on the Awakening Joy website. Um, call, I'm calling Conversations with the Wise, Insights and Practices for Difficult Times. And it's just free offering. And I've had conversations with uh, Tara Brock and Rick Hansen and Guy Armstrong and Tanisara and uh, Frank Ostaseski. Uh, Sylvia hasn't been posted yet. Linda Graham. Uh, and I just spoke with Julia Butterfly Hill last week, who's for me, one of the most inspiring people uh, uh, alive, and uh, and she was just she was saying how she just <laughs> she's a, a cynical she's a, a cynical optimist, um, and she goes she dry, it, it, she can. Sometimes tear her hair hair out. No, I can't believe this. And then, yes, but can I come back to a place that I'm coming from love? And can I just find that equanimity and then act from what she calls a joyful responsibility? This is where the karma comes in. It's a responsibility, but acting from joy or acting from... um, uh, a kind of good-heartedness, then there's a uh, there's a whole different energy that not only comes from you but touches others, and yeah, just to find something that touches you, uh, and you are adding to that collective karma in a really uh, healthy and powerful way. Is there one other? Yes, one last.
Hi, thank you. Um, I just wanted to follow up on what you were saying. Um, I think we really have to, it seems like there's a lot of clarity in this room. People, we all have this clarity about how we want things to be different, but we have to be really careful about thinking about where our motives are coming from. Uh, I was really struggling with the same issue a few years ago. I, I was, I was really focused on my practice and I wasn't paying attention to politics. And I, and I kind of, I watched the news one day and I felt all my equanimity evaporate in a, in, a, in, a, in just a second. I, I was tense and anxious and my impulse was to turn away. And I realized that that's kind of how it's, how they want it to work. Like if we turn away and don't pay attention, uh, things won't change. But if, if we engage, then it, it destroys our equanimity. And I, I found some wisdom back then in, in Ram Das, because he, he addresses this directly and he talks about the, the Hindu idea of be not attached to the fruit of the action and how he talked about the police, the hippies creating the police and the police creating the hippies. And I think we have to be aware and try hard not to come at this out of self-righteousness, mm-hmm. but to come out, out, at it out of really wanting the world to be different and somehow not being attached to that goal, just mm-hmm. taking the action. And, and I was reminded of it actually not tonight, but last night I was watching a, um, some, some Julia Butterfly Hill videos and she talks about, do we want to be right or do we want to be, do we want to change the world? Mm-hmm. And we all love to be right. I do. I love it. And, um, <laughs> but I want, I want to get in touch with, what the why I really need to take action, not just to because it's true. If if we're just self righteous and we want to be right, we're gonna we're gonna create more of the opposition every time. Yes, thank you. And that's this whole thing about karma coming in. That where your where your motivation uh, is based has a huge effect on what the. Uh, the energy that you're putting out. So that's where it behooves us to come from caring and, and compassion. And, uh, you know, everybody wants to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. They're just going, some people are going about it in ways that cause more suffering. And if you can meet people on that place, in that place, oh, that they, if they can understand where real happiness lies or understand that place that everyone wants to feel safe, everyone wants to be loved and approved. There's, there's the Dalai Lama and whoever you would think on the other side, uh, in right inside of us. It's all in us. And so... Uh, to just keep on coming from that place of of caring and love, that's how you awaken it in others. If you don't, then you're just awakening the other side in, in them as well. So, thank you. Okay, so uh, we'll close with a short loving kindness. And sing for what it's worth. And sing for what it, Something happened in here. What it is, and you better stop. Hey, what's that sound? And so, just 
as we end, you might think of somebody who you care about, who you want to extend good wishes. And then extending it out to everyone in this world who is suffering. May all come to the end of their suffering or hold their suffering with compassion. Then think of all the people in the world who are having well-being now and all those that are creating more well-being and happiness and including yourself in there may all be connected to that place of kindness and caring and wisdom may all discover where true happiness lies. May all know great peace and may our coming here together have a beneficial effect rippling out to support all beings everywhere in their freedom and ease. Thank you very much. Thank you for your attention. Have a great week. See you next week.